0: and give your entire go-to-market team the data they need to operate as one unified, powerful front. Also, you can easily support, strengthen, and grow your customer base. Secrets out. HubSpot Service Hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today.
1: All right, what's going on, everyone? It's Friday, March 4th, and you are listening to The Hustle Daily Show. I'm Zachary Crockett. I'm here with our daily writers, Juliet Bennett-Ryla. Hey. And Jacob Cohen. Howdy-do. Today, we are talking about something many of us have had to awkwardly explain to employers, gaps on resumes. Time off between jobs has been frowned upon historically, but the tides may be shifting a bit. We're also going to get into some beef between Wikipedia and Russia, an embarrassing screw-up by the EV truck maker Rivian, and a big move from Amazon. Before we get into all that, let's do a quick rundown of the news. So first off, we've seen a lot of big Western companies pull out of Russia in the past week. Apple, BP, Shell, Exxon, Ford, GM, Boeing, Disney, the list goes on and on. And yesterday, two more firms threw their hats into that pile. IKEA and the fashion retailer H&M, which have 17 and 168 stores in Russia, respectively, They've both decided to temporarily halt operations in Russia as the Ukrainian conflict continues to play out. Now, I know many of us here in the U.S. are feeling the pressures of inflation. We're now sitting at a 7.5% annual rate, but over in Turkey, things are much graver. The country just reported a 54% inflation rate. That's a 20-year high. Turks are seeing their salaries drop, and their cost of living dramatically increase despite the turmoil Turkey's president is refusing to hike interest rates. Elon Musk has invited the United Auto Workers to hold a union vote at Tesla's California factory. This invitation comes on the heels of President Biden's announcement that union-made, US-built electric vehicles will get an extra $4500 tax incentive. Tesla's factories are not currently unionized, and Musk has been pretty critical of unions in the past. In 2018, he tweeted that any employee who formed a union would lose their stock options. And lastly, Google has officially set a date for many of its employees to return to the office. Its voluntary work-from-home period ends April 4th, so expect to see a few less people coating in sweatpants at your local coffee shop. That's gonna do it for the news. Now let's move into our big story for the day. So if you've ever taken time between jobs, you know it can be really stressful to try to explain this gap to new employers. And there's obviously been a big stigma against this in the past, but LinkedIn is trying to change that with a new feature they just rolled out. Jacob, you want to give us the down low here on the on this feature? Absolutely. So unless you have worked at The Gap,
2: most people probably feel like it's not a great look for themselves to have a gap on their resume or on their LinkedIn too. There's a big stigma around it. And LinkedIn actually says 60% of workers believe the stigma exists. Mm-hmm. It's particularly a problem for women in the workplace. So they're putting in this new feature that lets users choose from 13 different options basically to describe such a gap. Options include personal reasons like caregiving and bereavement, as well as work reasons like career transitions and layoffs. Although that's probably a more interesting one mm. to try to explain. But it is backed by data. So LinkedIn reported a 39% jump in career gaps in 2020. And, you know, I can personally say I've seen career gaps of different kinds over the last mm-hmm. couple of years. I've seen people take breaks to go to like boot camps, you know, trying to transition to careers sure. in college, whether you consider that. Part of the, someone's career. I mean, I've seen kids take different kinds of gaps, whether that was not being able to get an internship for a couple semesters because of COVID, or kids literally taking off for a year, like a gap year. In the middle of their college experience because they didn't want to be there during COVID. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of that. And uh, interestingly, though, LinkedIn said 79% of hiring managers would hire a candidate with a career gap on their resume. Wow. What's also interesting is just between the pandemic, labor shortages, there's now this war for talent. Mm. And experts think that it's also softened the view among recruiters of looking at a career gap on someone's resume. So it is interesting.
1: Yeah, it would be fascinating to kind of look back and see what that 79% figure was even just 10 years ago. I mean, a lot of us remember, you know, sitting in an interview and just being grilled about, you know, taking a few months off between jobs. That perception is obviously shifting now for a lot of the reasons you mentioned. I think it's just become more common, especially during the pandemic and the great resignation for people to need to take a little time to themselves. Juliet, what's the bigger picture here in terms of shifting attitudes towards workplace flexibility?
3: Yeah, it just seems like, especially in the wake of the pandemic, we're moving toward a more flexible scenario where it's kind of, you no longer assume someone's going to graduate college, immediately get a job, work that job for 10 years, then get another job. Uh, Things are a lot different now. There's a lot of people starting their own businesses. There's a lot of people freelancing. Remote work is way up. A recent report believes 25% of all professional jobs in North America will actually be remote by 2023. And then we've got other countries that are moving to a four-day work week. So it just seems like that stereotypical nine to five, always at work, never take time for yourself, nose to the grindstone mentality is fading away.
2: Yeah. The four-day work week is going to be interesting. I don't see that happening widespread for a while. I think maybe in tech, you'll see some more. There are some companies very proudly trying it out, but Mm -hmm. I just can't see that happening, like really implementing that as a policy for a long time. I can see a lot more, like you're saying, just more flexibility in general. But just dropping a day, I feel like that's you know that's a big step. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, I'm a lot more about flexible hours than a four day work week. Mm-hmm. I like to do two hours here, take a break, then do three hours, do a little night work. I feel like <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's my preference. I feel like that would work for me, but in a different type of job, I could totally see a four day work week working. So yeah. I think that flexibility has to also include some of the good stuff we're getting and see like what works best for each individual person.
2: Yeah. When I'm talking to some boomers and they're like, what do you mean you have unlimited vacation? (laughs) Some boomers. I'm like, the most useful part of unlimited vacation policies is just being able to take like an afternoon off to go to a doctor's appointment, in my opinion. Right. And like not having to figure that out. Because the data shows people who work at companies with unlimited vacation take less vacation than otherwise.
3: Yeah, I almost never formally take a day off. I'll just be like, oh, hey, I need to go to the dentist I'll be back later. Yeah. As opposed to like in other jobs where I would take vacation days to go to the doctor and then just be miserable all the time because I never had any free time.
2: This is kind of like what's happening with career gaps. Like it's just becoming a little more flexible and there's just some more freedom around it.
3: Right. I think for a long time, employees were not allowed to be human. So if somebody had to, say, take six months off to take care of a family member, that was Mm -hmm. seen as, you know, oh, you've got to give up your job. You've got to you know, it's your, it's your job or this, or if someone said like, hey, uh, I'm gonna go live in Spain for three mm-hmm. months and, and learn something new. We didn't have that opportunity. And so we're just kind of stagnant in our jobs. And I, and I think now there's sort of a push to recognize each employee's humanity and how allowing people to have these experiences and be content at home and in the rest of their lives actually leads to a more productive and happier and more enthusiastic workforce.
1: Yeah. I I mean, in my first job out of college, probably six months into my job, my dad got cancer, actually. So I did take some time off. And I just remember how stressful that was. My employer was just not very understanding about it. And I felt like my job was constantly threatened. As as a young employee, there was obviously power dynamics. I was expected to work harder and not ask questions or take time to myself. So it's nice to see some of these expectations shifting a little bit to a, a more
0: reasonable level. For sure. He talks about in this episode how he was able to manage the global superstar athlete celebrity that Maradona is and was. It's a great listen. You better get out there and check it out. And you can listen to Truth, Lies, and Work wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Okay, well, we've got a few more things here. A lot of you may have heard of this company, Rivian. They make EV trucks. They just had a pretty weird foible, right, Jacob?
2: Yes. That's a good word, by the way. You don't hear that word It's one of my faves. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good one. And you're right. They are this electric automaker and emphasis on maker because they're very much still in the process of making cars <laughs> and not as much in the process of selling cars. Basically, they're hailed as the next Tesla focused on SUVs. They've got a lot of pre-orders, but they made a big mistake this week. They told their customers, even the ones who had already agreed to a car and a price and a pre-order, that prices were going up. And for some models, around 20%, which was could be like... 10 to 20 grand for certain models. And obviously, people freaked out. And uh, RJ Scaringe, Rivian's CEO, realized the mistake and. Basically said, sorry, that was a, a big mistake. If you already made a pre order, forget about this whole thing. It'll cost the same as we agreed upon. Please don't lose trust in us. What's funny that Rivian let them know all this like in an email, which is mm. which is I guess how you communicate these days, but it's also just never gonna be satisfactory for anyone. Right. And I mean Rivian went public last November. The valuation mm. shot up to 120 billion at one point, I think before selling a single car. And it's now dropped about fifty percent since then, but yikes! You know, still very high. And they're not the only ones dealing with this. Lucid cut its production targets because of supply chain issues. Lordstown Motors, another one of these companies, said they need to raise more funding. I guess the lesson here: it's not cheap making
1: cars. It is not cheap making cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you, you know, this does point to a bigger problem. You know, how, companies are obviously dealing with a lot of supply chain issues and increased production costs. And it's been interesting to see how companies are navigating this differently. Some are passing these costs on their customers. Others are kind of just eating the costs and waiting for things to ease up. Yeah, it'll be an interesting experience watching this all play out in the coming months and years. All right, let's shift to Wikipedia here. Wikipedia is the internet's favorite free encyclopedia. A lot of people turn to Wikipedia as a source for definitive information. And whether you believe it or not, it's often seen as kind of a non-biased, straight information type of site. But Juliet, Russia is waging something of a a war against Wikipedia.
3: Right. So as you talked about earlier, there's a lot of stuff going on with companies in Russia. Warner Brothers won't even let them watch The Batman. So there's just a lot going on. But... One thing that I think is really interesting involves Wikipedia. Russia's tech and communications regulator, Roskomnadzor, is mad about the Russian language Wikipedia page covering Russia's attack on Ukraine. And to be clear, this is pertaining to an article written by Russian volunteers for Russians. So it's not Mm. the English language article that you or I would probably get if we went to Wikipedia right now. So Russia claims full of false information about casualties and sanctions, and they are now threatening to block Wikipedia in Russia if its editors don't censor it. However, the Wikimedia Foundation said no. They said their job is to deliver reliable, factual information, and that's what they're going to try to do. Mm -hmm. The caveat here being that this is an ever-evolving situation. So a lot of those details, especially pertaining to casualties on both sides, are actually really hard to confirm. And you've got 400 volunteer editors that have touched this article, and they all have, of course, various opinions on the matter, and they're coming in with biases. But, you know, they're, they're doing their best to maintain this article as factually as possible. And what's interesting is this is not the first time Russia has gotten upset with Wikipedia Wikipedia, or threaten to ban it or block specific pages. There is actually a Wikipedia article about all of the times Russia has done this. It's in <laughs> Russian. That's funny. <laughs> but I translated it and I found that their banned list includes a lot of articles about drugs. And they did temporarily block Wikipedia in 2015 over an article about a type of cannabis. There is also a Russian Wikipedia article about how to get around blocked Wikipedia articles oh. in
1: Russia. <laughs> how nice. <laughs> wow. Um, I have a feeling that one's going to come in handy.
3: Yes, for sure.
1: I mean, it's actually a fascinating process
2: how Wikipedia pages get built and Mm. edited. And I don't think a lot of people realize that there are entire communities of thousands of people who spend their days editing Wikipedia pages, you know, Mm -hmm. just because that's what they like doing. Yeah, I take it for granted all the time. Also... I'm a big proponent for Wikipedia's use in schools, and I do think that's changing too as time goes on. It used to be a banned site in American schools.
3: Yeah, it's interesting because I've noticed sometimes if someone sources Wikipedia in, I don't know, like a a flaymore on the internet or something, someone will be like, you can't use Wikipedia as a source, go find a real source. And it's like, Mm -hmm. but Wikipedia is actually just like all of the sources, like every piece of information you read will link to a source and you can go directly to that source and verify it yourself. Like it really is a pretty good way to learn about something, especially when you consider the amount of work people put in sometimes to writing something in very plain language. I think it's a great resource. And, you know, if you want to check the source, just go to the bottom and there it is. Mm
1: -hmm. Unless you're Russia. Well, last thing on the docket today is Amazon started back in 1994 as a way to disrupt physical bookstores. They wanted to create an online bookstore and It obviously caused a lot of chaos with physical book retailers at the time. But Amazon eventually changed their tune a little bit, and they came full circle and opened a bunch of physical bookstores all across the U.S., just as kind of a test pilot to get back into brick-and-mortar retail. Now they're reversing course on that decision. Juliet, what's the scope of this decision? What's happening here?
3: So they're going to close 68 stores across the United States and the U.K., That accounts for all of their pop-up and four-star stores and all of their bookstores. Mm. There were 24 bookstores in the United States. I don't know why you would go to an Amazon bookstore to buy a book, but if (laughs) that's you, dates vary uh, on when these are going to close. Employees are going to be offered different jobs or a severance package. I don't think it's that surprising. Obviously, Amazon has a really booming online retail business, but sales growth in their physical stores has been kind of slow. Mm-hmm. And right now they're moving more into grocery stores. So that includes Whole Foods, which they acquired a couple of years ago, and also all of their convenience stores that have the just walk out technology and the smart carts and, and all of that. So... Goodbye, bookstores. Hello, grocery mm. stores. That's <laughs> that's where we're going.
2: It's kind of like they're running out of ways to make money, so <laughs> they needed to move back into bookstores. Mm. Yeah. Has anyone been to an Amazon bookstore? Never. Like, where are these magical stores? I haven't been to the bookstore. I've been to one of the four-star stores. What are those exactly? It's a store with a bunch of their curated products. But they're all like four star rated four stars and okay. up or something like that.
1: <laughs> but it's kind of just like, I, why am I here? You know,
2: yeah. it's kind of like it's like the uh, As
3: Seen on TV star.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Kind of reminds yeah. me of like in 40 in year old version, the movie like Jonah Hill runs this store where he just sells things like the whole store is full of stuff that he's selling on eBay, I think. And when a customer walks in there and they see something they want, they can't buy it there. They have to like go on eBay and buy the item. Nice. But it's, it's like Amazon created this e-commerce giant and now they are going back in and creating brick and mortar stores in the same industries that they basically destroyed or completely wiped out with e-commerce. It's just a very interesting full circle here.
2: Yeah. And I
1: mean, they're doing it in a lot of industries too, right? They have Whole
2: Foods, which they're adding a lot of tech to. Like there's a couple Whole Foods that they're opening now with this kind of just walk out technology with like palm scanning. So you can just walk in, scan your palm, pay that Mm -hmm. way. And they're also opening up large clothing stores with all of their kind of in-house rolled up brands that they've built over time. Mm -hmm. I mean, with like different kinds of smart dressing rooms. I have no idea if it'll work that well. The problem is they were the ones who built the movement towards online shopping. And now they're trying to tell people, oh, wait a second. You should like going in person. It's almost like that, you know.
3: Hmm. Maybe their goal is to use the space program to put the stores in space. Um, on other planets <laughs> while also expanding their gaming and their television empires. I guess my point is, what isn't Amazon doing? Like, they spent over $400 million on a Lord of the Rings show. <laughs> and they just unrolled a gaming platform yesterday. <laughs> and Bezos spun off his space thing. It's just like, mm-hmm. is there an industry Amazon does not deal with at all?
1: Well, as of uh, yesterday, physical bookstores. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they um, dropped that one. That's it. That's it.
3: Maybe they want you to read them on Kindle now. They're just moving everyone to Kindle after weaning them off and on and off again, physical books.
1: Hmm. Yeah. All right, that's gonna do it for us today. Thanks for listening to The Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. I'm Zachary Crockett. Big thanks to Juliet Bennett-Ryla and Jacob Cohen for joining me today. And shout out to Darren Clark, our producer. If you liked what we heard today, we've got a lot more tech and business coverage over at thehustle.co. We'll see you all next week.